So in a couple of weeks, we're going to start this series called Winning Your Mind, Change Your Thinking, Change Your Life. And uh, I'm really excited about it. So just want to give you a little promo. Frequently, we preachers, when we begin a message like this, we'll begin with a pithy little story and um, try to get your attention and, and, uh, and get you kind of drawn into the content for the day. Um, today, the scripture that I'm going to read to you is so uh, powerful and so applicable that what I'm going to do is just begin by reading uh, this scripture. So hear the word of God uh, from Isaiah chapter 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good. And you will delight in the riches of fair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I've made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not. And nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seeds for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands." Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. May God bless the reading of his word here this morning. Um, Welcome to New Hope. You don't know what to say because I'm saying that after I've read the scripture. Glad you're here today. Um, To you you joining me online, welcome uh, uh, welcome to you that way too. Um, So we're a few weeks into our, 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 uh, we're a few weeks from the end of our Summer series, I should say. And we've been doing this series called The Art of Being Unordinary, Reimagining Life. And uh, God invites us into this, this life that's, that's unordinary, that's totally different. And so I begin to prepare this message this week, and I was going to use Isaiah 55 as the introduction. And once I begin to look at it, I said, that is the message. Uh, and so we're going to look at Isaiah 55 this morning and see that God invites you and I into this extraordinary life that's entirely different than we would do on our own. And I'm going to use one word uh, kind of uh, encapsulation of, of the message this morning. For each point, there's going to be one word. Um, you'll see what I mean as I go through the message here today. Um, but the first part of Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 7, shows a different way to do life. So let's begin um, to just kind of break this down. I call this message simply a different way. Listen to this. First of all, there's an invitation. First of all, there's an invitation here that Isaiah extends. God invites the thirsty to come to him. He invites the thirsty to come to him. And now the first verse of Isaiah 55 first, uh, you know, says basically what a water vendor would say in, in the days of Isaiah in, the, in, the, in that Middle Eastern part of the world. You know, it'd be very effective. Come, all you are thirsty. I got water. Come, you are thirsty. If you're in a dry and, 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 uh, and hot 
climate, water is uh, a really, really a good thing. And so this is kind of like a water vendor almost kind of saying here, um, come, you who are thirsty, come to God who will give you water. Now, recently we had something happen here at church I haven't experienced for years. Kim Harms, uh, along with Courtney Verhook, who was Verhook at the time, I forget her name now, sorry. Anyway, I'm looking at the Verhook, so she just got married. Anyway, what's her name? Yeah, I, don't, I can't say it anyway. Um, so anyway, anyway, good, good for her. Yeah, um, so they stopped by the church with this little vendor truck that sells ice cream that goes around the neighborhoods. And she came in and she said, hey, free ice cream for anybody. There's a vendor truck going behind me with a little jingle. So, um, and, and, and so we go out there and there's this truck and I got really nostalgic, really fast. And I had a mango bar on a stick, which was delightful be good on a 95 degree South Dakota summer day. The thing is so good. And it it brought me back to the the days when I grew up in my neighborhood. Um, The the little truck would come by, right? Singing his little jingle or playing his little jingle. And man, my buddies and I, we'd be playing baseball in the field or we'd be playing football or something. And you could hear that thing a half a mile away, right? The little jingle. And we'd run home, man, we'd run home and beg our parents for a dime. I'm dating myself to buy an ice cream treat. And I remember my mom and dad saying, that's an awful lot of money. I don't know if we can do that. You can buy, you know, a gallon of ice cream for a quarter. Am I really dating myself now? <laughs> I am, aren't I? Some of you are going, what? Yeah, and so I'd run home, I'd, please, please, you know. And then you'd have that treat and it'd be so good, taste so good. So she comes in that little truck and it just brought me back to those days, that little jingle. And then when she drives off, it's playing their little tune as she goes away from the church. And I thought, bless your heart for giving us a treat. I can hear the Holy Spirit today. And he's singing the jingle to us. He's saying, come, thirsty ones. It's harsh out there. Come, be refreshed. Come and taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Two things make this invitation here really effective in Isaiah 55. One, the people to whom he's directing it lived in a dry and thirsty land. So when, when the invitation is come, you who are thirsty, they would, under, they would understand thirst. They would understand how thirst could drive you. And, and they would understand the, the significance of this invitation Secondly, it was just so refreshing. It was just so refreshing. Um, when you're really thirsty, there's nothing like a good long drink of water. Amen? I uh, played football, and I played basketball it, way back. And I remember August football practices. Anybody relate to me on that? I hated those things. Two times a day in the end of August, it's like torture. And the, and the football coaches aren't exactly normal human beings. And so they delight in making you just die. And I remember Crappie, one of my football coaches, we were doing leg-ups. Anybody remember leg-ups? Anybody do leg-ups? Who cares, right? All right. Um, so you're laying there doing these leg lifters, and Crappie comes. He's got his cleats on. I'm laying there working away. He steps on my stomach, full weight. said, Norby, don't let up, because you'd be dead if you let up. I go, ah! And he's like, in August, and you get so, so thirsty. And I remember they'd say, okay, water break. Oh, man, I wanted to stick my head in that thing. You just drink it, drink it, drink it till your stomach hurt, until you felt like you were going to, you know, kind of chuck up, because you just couldn't quench the thirst. Isaiah, friends, recognizes what a blessing it is to be in relationship with God. 
And he says, and he invites, he says, come you who are thirsty, come to the one who can give you living water. And we who love Jesus should have that same kind of a invitation. Come you who do not know Christ, come you who are thirsty, come you who are in this harsh land and, and, and you feel uh, dried up, um, come to God, come you who are broken, come you who are bruised, come you who are fearful and faint of heart, come you who feel unwanted and unworthy, uh, come to Jesus and drink of the living water and be born again of the spirit where you'll never be thirsty again. Amen? Come, come. So my question to you this morning simply is this, friends. Are you thirsty? Do you hear the invitation of Isaiah? Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty to live a different life? To live a a life that's unordinary? Come, come to the one who can satisfy that thirst. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse two, Isaiah takes us to a, a, a different kind of introspective moment. And it could be encapsulated by this word, evaluation, evaluation. A question is asked, is what you are living for satisfying you? Is what you're living for satisfying you? Now, the Israelites had been in Babylonian captivity for some time when Isaiah's penning these words. And they had become used to their captivity. They were now becoming preoccupied with living. And some of them were beginning to put down kind of deep roots and they were acquiring wealth and they were beginning to look at this place as home. And Isaiah asked, does this really satisfy you? Is this where you really belong? And the prophet speaks with some urgency here saying two times, listen, listen, pursue that which is good. Really the question being asked here is this, what in the world are you living for? Are you living for the right things? Is that What's defining your life and driving your life? It's, it's so easy in our time and age to get caught up in all the busyness of life. Would you agree with me? Like right now, I didn't want to go to Walmart yesterday. Nothing against all you college students. I put a new water softener in. I need a softener salt. I said, oh, no. <laughs> so I went to Lowe's first, and I was willing to pay the extra money, but they didn't have the right kind of salt. I said, oh, no, I'm looking at the Walmart parking lot. Anybody, anybody there yesterday? That's not good. And so I parked way in the running side so I could get a running start out of the parking lot. <laughs> anyway, that's a dad joke. Um, I go in there and praise God they got the salt right by the checkout counter, right? So I throw it in my cart and just go around and then I wait 15 minutes in the line to check out. And I considered that really fast. It's busy, busy, busy. Our our thing that we face today, friends, sometimes in life, is that it's so easy to get really, really busy. Everything's just busy, busy, busy. And if you're a capable person, guess what? Add a couple busies on there. We have a picture here of a mom. Reminds me an awful lot of my wife. We have six kids and 13 grandkids, and she was always busy, just always busy doing multiple things. And I remember when our, our, our six kids were really active kids, they got a lot of activities, they're doing all kinds of sports, they're, the coolest ones were singing in groups and doing stuff, and we would go, tag, you go to that one, and I'll go to this one, and we just spent years, like, this will slow down eventually, right? You just kind of live from activity and event uh, uh, to event. And um, frequently I ask the question, what on earth are we really doing here? Sometimes the reason we're dissatisfied as Christ followers is we're overwhelmingly busy. We're not hearing the voice of God. And sometimes we're trying to do two lives, the old life and the new life in Christ. And the two are incompatible, and they'll just overwhelm you if you try to do both. When I was in my 40s, I read a book that kind of changed my life. It's called Halftime 
by Buford. And basically, he was talking about how in your life, there has to be a move from a success orientation in your thinking to a significance orientation in your thinking. So most of us, and I fall in this category, do what you normally do. You think, I'm going to go to college, and I'll get a degree. I got an MA degree, mechanical engineering degree to start with. I'll get a good job. I married a really great woman. We'll have some kids. We didn't know how to stop because we have six. And so we really prospered there. At any rate, um, so then I think I'm going to get a nice house. Uh, I'm going to have a nice car, right? And big TV. Because I want the football player's head to be my size. Because after all, you can't enjoy the game, right? Unless you can see it really big. Amen, right? Some of you are agreeing with me. Come on, you're afraid to say this because we're in church. Um, and so, you, you, but pretty soon you think, it's more better all I'm doing is getting more stuff. Pretty soon I'm just maintaining all my stuff. You know, I can't even keep up with the maintenance schedule on this stuff. It's overwhelming me. And so I'm reading Buford's book and he says, initially, most people pursue success. That's why there's so many midlife crises. You get to about 40, 45, and you go, I'm tired of this. I'm just really tired. I'm tired of all this stuff. I'm trying to work hard to have more stuff. And he says, you need to move from a life oriented around success to a life oriented around significance where relationships are what really rule. You see that the only thing internal in this building is you and me, right? Nothing else really matters here but other people. And the most important investment you can make in your life is in relationships with one another. What's the legacy you're leaving? What will people think of you when you're gone? Are you righting some wrongs? Are you working for some justice? Are you doing some of these things that are significant, not just successful? And there should be a, 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 a switch. And what on earth are you living for? That's the question. Essentially, that's what Isaiah asked in chapter 55. What are you living for? And does it matter? So I have a question. Are you living for what matters in your life? Because the earlier you figure this out, the more significant and fulfilling your life will be. The earlier you figure this out, and you say, I, I, okay, there's nothing wrong with having a good job. There's nothing wrong with owning a house or a car or whatever be the case. Those are handy things to have. But the quicker you learn the significant side of life, the more fulfilling uh, in your life will be. Uh, so now we're to the next kind of thought by Isaiah. And we live on the other side of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we should understand what he's talking about here when he says his everlasting covenant extraordinarily well because we have the perspective of seeing it through uh, Christ and his resurrection and what God has accomplished. But really where Isaiah takes us next could be encapsulated by this word salvation. He really talks about salvation. He begins with an invitation. He gets to this idea you should evaluate your life, evaluation, and then he gets to this topic of salvation that God's going to establish an everlasting covenant. And we know this, Jesus the Savior, the descendant of David, has come. So God has made an everlasting covenant through Jesus the Savior, the descendant of David. And those who believe in Jesus are forgiven and justified. Isaiah is a a powerful chapter that, this uh, chapter 55 is a powerful chapter that informs the reader how to really do life differently. How to live a life for God. And Isaiah gets kind of to this big thought. God's going to establish this everlasting covenant. And we know that's happened in Jesus Christ. And when I read Isaiah chapter 55, I'm reminded again of the prophetic nature of the Bible. And how God fulfills what he promises. 
and how this all fits together. The Bible's one big story. And it, it just does my heart good. It does my heart good to read Isaiah 55 and see, God, Jesus Christ has been your plan since the foundation of the world. In Isaiah 55, you say, you know, you're going to form this everlasting covenant. We've got to see that happen in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I read Isaiah 55 and go, wow, God, you do what you say you're going to do. And your covenant will come true just like you promised. Um, and so one of my favorite songs has become this, simply this, I Speak Jesus. You know that song? Anybody know that new song, I Speak Jesus? Like, it's super popular. And I think we make life complicated at times. And we, when, especially with our Christian faith, you know what? It's all about Jesus Christ. That's been God's plan all along. That's the everlasting covenant that Isaiah prophesied about here in Isaiah 55. And we need to come back to some simplicity sometimes as followers of God and just realize it's all about Jesus. And I find myself speaking Jesus into situations frequently. Jesus, is just about you. I just need to worship you. I need to follow Howard after you. And, and that, that song has really been good for my heart. What's so neat about Isaiah 55 is that God says my influence will expand. I'm going to influence nations, and they're going to see my splendor and all that, right? Is that happened or not? Come on, China got closed down, and when China's opened up, there's like a whole, whole Jesus revolution that took place in China. When it was closed off, and it seemed like nothing was going on there, God was moving. And we live in times and age where we're seeing all the fulfillment of, of prophetic utterances like Isaiah 55, and it should just, you know, it should just, Move us on in our most holy faith. So Isaiah 55 has taken us on this journey of faith to a different life. It could be summarized this way. There's an invitation, then there's an evaluation, and then there's a salvation offered. But what I love here is, is where, where, where Isaiah takes us next. He takes us to this prioritization kind of thought process. Prioritization is essential for the follower of Jesus Christ. So we're supposed to have a healthy sense of urgency because you don't have unlimited time. You do not have unlimited time. You've got to have a healthy sense of urgency because you don't have unlimited time. Isaiah says, call on the Lord while he may be found. We live in between the appearance of Jesus Christ. Jesus came the first time, and he was crucified, and he rose from the dead, and he ushered in the church age. We're living the age of grace right now. This is the invitation in the age of grace. To all of you who are thirsty, come. Come, and your thirst will be satisfied. You know, to all of you who are understanding and evaluating your life correctly, that, that you're not satisfied with just doing life, with just having a job, with just making some money, with just owning a car, come! Come to the new covenant that, that never goes away, that's everlasting, found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, the wicked can be forgiven. Life can be different. Then there's the second coming of Christ. And when that happens, that invitation goes away. Because the first time he came as a sympathetic high priest, bringing in the age of grace, the age of the church, the age of invitation. And the second period, it will be the time of judgment where things will close down and will come to the edge of age. We don't have unlimited time. I read this epithet recently, and it's going to show up here on the, on the screen. I came here without being consulted, and I leave without my consent. And it speaks to the reality that we control very little in our lives. And time is not unlimited. And no, I don't go around reading gravestone writings and I don't do that kind of stuff. But I just happened upon this. I said, oh, that's so, so true. Time is limited. 
And we have to seize the moments and have to have a sense of urgency in following the Lord Jesus Christ. And it all starts when you believe in Jesus and you receive him as your Savior. So believe and receive have become like operational words for me as a follower of God. I've got to believe, I've got to receive. I've got to believe, I've got to receive. I've got to believe, I've got to receive. That, that, that's, that's all we do with the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe it and we receive, and we receive it. And then we're supposed to forsake our old ways. We're to have this renewing of our minds take place. And that's what we're going to look at deeply this fall. Winning the war of the mind. Change your thinking, change your life. Change your thinking, change your life, right? I know that for most of us, this is where the battle takes place. We've got to change what we think and we change our lives. Priorities are so important in life. Don't mindlessly go through life without something directing your life. Have some priorities that you establish. That's what, what Isaiah is saying here. Basically, we have to live for the things of God. Last week, at, at, we had a little staff retreat out at Owl um, Lodge. It's over here by Oakwood Nature Park. And I was asked to speak on uh, longevity in ministry. I think that was the invitation when I first heard it. I, 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 I entitled it, uh, you know, In It for the Long Haul. And the reason they asked me to speak on that is because I'm old. And so it qualifies me to speak on it, you know. Um, and so I want to cover a couple of those points with you today about priorities because this was kind of directed at the pastoral staff. But as I got to thinking about it, some, some of this is just about being a Christ follower. And I'm just going to cover a couple points. I covered 10 points that day. I'm not going to do that this morning because some of you are already timing that thing out. No, and that's never going to work. But here, here's what I found to be the most, one of the most important things for me as a follower of Jesus Christ. I have to maintain a student discipleship mentality. I'm always a learner as a follower of God. That never ceases to be uh, the situation. Be teachable and be humble. I can't express anything more important to you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Be teachable and be humble. Don't think too highly of yourself. You don't need to do that, but think highly of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Be teachable and, and be humble. Um, allowing God to transform you. And he will transform various pieces of your life as you maintain that kind of an attitude. And obedience over the long haul is about the most important thing you can do as a follower of Christ. It's not usually big, significant events that change you. It's following God in the right direction for a long time in the small things day in and day out and becoming a habit in your life of just following God. Um, And here's one of my favorite things because this is kind of me. Take risks. Every now and then. Go out of your comfort zone. God does not call you to a life of control and comfort. He calls you to a life of risk in him. Take a risk every now and then. Talk to somebody about Jesus Christ. You know, throw it out there. Uh, be willing to take risks. Be willing to try new things. Um, you know, sometimes you're going to fail. And he, he, here's what I say. Failures don't define you. They inform you. Okay? So if you fail at something, all right, you'll live. No big deal usually. You know, let that failure inform you. Okay, what do I change? What do I do different in my life? Failures don't define, they inform. So many people don't do anything. They sit there paralyzed because they're afraid of failure. Do some things that fail every now and then. It's good for your soul, amen? And then just let it inform you. Okay, that didn't work. I'll try something else. Pray, pray, and pray. We don't pray enough. We carry things we're never meant to carry. We, we take burdens upon ourselves and worries upon ourselves we don't have the constitution for. Pray. 
Leave it at the foot of the cross. Trust Jesus with things. When something's upsetting you, say, God, I'm upset. Pray. Be honest. Be transparent. Be authentic. He can handle it. Don't carry stuff. It'll destroy your soul from the inside out. Don't do that. Give it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray, pray, pray. And then it's all about Jesus. Speak Jesus to yourself and to others. Just all about Jesus. When it's all said and done, it's about Jesus. This is his church. He's Lord of your life. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Isaiah 55 guides us through steps to experience an unordinary life. It begins with an invitation. Come, you who are thirsty. Are you thirsty? I'm always thirsty. Thirsty? Evaluate. Evaluation is the next word. Are you satisfied with your life and what you're doing? Evaluation is incredibly important as a follower of God. Then there's salvation. Salvation has been offered to us now through Jesus Christ. He is the everlasting covenant. We have to what? Believe and receive. Believe and receive. And then there's prioritization. Urgently seek and follow Jesus because you don't have unlimited time. Now, I love how Isaiah wraps up Isaiah 55. It's really, really cool. He, he wraps up this. First of all, it's kind of like, here's how you live the different life. And then he wraps up, let me give you some thoughts about God. He doesn't say it like that, but that's what he does. So he, he ends up saying, basically, God is a difference maker. And so I'm going to walk through this very quickly with you. One, he reveals to us that God is supreme. God is supreme. God's thoughts and ways are higher than our thoughts and ways. So God is superior to all others. He doesn't need anyone else to be on his side to have a majority. Amen. He works mightily in the margins of culture. And he often works through what appears to be weak and frail people. Next week, Pastor Aaron, who's back from sabbatical over here. Yay. We're, we're glad to have you back, Aaron. So, so, yeah, you can clap for him. He's a great guy. And uh, he, it won't go to his head because he's humble. So, anyway, next week, Pastor Aaron's going to be talking on Gideon. And sharing an in-depth message on, on Gideon and how he lived an ordinary life and all that kind of takeaways from that. I was thinking about Gideon a little bit. <laughs> and how God, you know, God is a God who's supreme. He says things, um, he, he, he knows my ways are not your ways. So the angel of God appears to Gideon, calling him to lead the Israelites out of their captivity to the Midianites. And Gideon, we're told, is hiding from the Midianites, threshing wheat like in a wine press. So he's hiding. And the angel appears to Gideon and says, mighty warrior, come on now. Some of us know the story so well, it doesn't mean anything. I'm going, there's nothing mighty about this dude. He's hiding out. He's a fraidy cat, right? They're, he's not mighty. He's the antithesis of mighty. But isn't that how God works? He's a difference maker. And then we sang about it today. Ezekiel, God's telling Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones, he's saying to him, can these bones live again? And Ezekiel goes, only you know, God. You know, that's kind of a wimpy answer. And he says, Ezekiel, speak to these dry bones. Prophesy over them. And I mean, these bones are dead. And Gideon can't see anything in them. And he starts prophesying. And the bones rattle. They come to life. And they put on flesh. And they become, you know, people, right? And God is showing him, I'm the difference maker. I'm the difference maker. It's not about who you are. It's not about your history. It's not about your qualifications. It's about who I am and what I want to do in your life. Amen? And we have to have that perspective of God. And then um, we get to this next word. I think this is really important here about God, trustworthy. 
trustworthy. We see that God's trustworthy here as, as, uh, as Isaiah's wrapping up his thoughts here in Isaiah 55. God will fulfill his word. He says, my word um, that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. This is the Numbers 23, 19. God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I found it really fascinating, this last global leadership summit that, that I watched part of uh, here at church. We, uh, it's a global leadership kind of gathering of some big name speakers and leaders, both from the secular world and from the Christian world that, that you use for kind of training. You know what their topic matter was this year? Trust. The whole thing was on Trust. And I, I thought I was only going to watch one session. I thought, I need to watch a lot of this because we live in an untrustworthy world right now. There's a lack of trust on all generations. Uh, it's basically all things. And God has promised, I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. I'm trustworthy. My characteristic, my nature as God is to be trustworthy. Now, I don't know about you, it's exhausting to live at times in a, in a, in a culture that's so untrusting. You've got to have your guard up all the time. Promises are constantly made that aren't fulfilled. We're constantly let down. Every time the political season amps up, I go, oh, no, here we go. A bunch of stuff going to be promised. And none of it's going to happen. Amen? Does anybody trust the government anymore? Good. They're not our hope or salvation. Our hope and salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. They make all kinds of promises. They go, you can't do any of that. I don't know about you, but I really, really get tired of that. I get to use snail, snail mail. Urgent, urgent, urgent. Open up, open up. Your car warranty is about to expire. How do they get my address? And I've never had a warranty. Why are you sending this to me? Are people really this dumb? You know what I mean? And I think, do they really think their car warranty is going to expire from some random letter coming in the mail or what? But I constantly get it. But that's just the nature of our culture. It's trying to scam you all the time, it feels like. And so you're constantly on guard. It's exhausting. But listen to this. God's trustworthy. It's like you can go, ah, I can just lean into you, God, and I can trust what you say, and I can let my guard down, and I can just love on you as you love on me. And there doesn't have to be all this messiness to it um, because God is trustworthy. He's honest. He's kind. He's good. He's dependable and loving. You know, and just sometimes I, I find myself in the quietness and stillness of a moment just going, ah, and just leaning into God and letting my guard down. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. So isn't it good that God's trustworthy? And last, one last thing about the Lord. He's transforming. The Lord replaces the old, the weeds that destroy with the new plants that heal. The thorn bushes and the briars are replaced with uh, juniper and um, myrtle. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But Vicky and I were talking recently. Now, Vicky's my wife. So some of you who don't know, I'm not just hanging out with some random girl, okay? But I'm hanging out with this hot chick who's been my wife for 45 years. <laughs> she hates it when I say that, but it's true. So so anyway, um, so, so we're talking uh, and I was kind of mentioning some stuff here about this message just to uh, briefly about the, the thorn bushes and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and she said to me, do you remember stickers? And we, yeah, I remember stickers. You know, sometimes they're called sandburrs. 
Do you know what those are, right? Sandbars or, or stickers, right? So we both grew up in Minnesota back before it was super populated around the cities. So I grew up in Brooklyn Park. She grew up in Andover. And there were fields around us, and the fields were sandy, kind of, kind of sandy dirt, like a lot of that dirt is in, in Minnesota. And boy, did it grow stickers well. She tells me the story. I didn't know about this because she moved to Andover from Iowa. And she said one day they're building a house there, so it was all fields around her. She ran outside barefoot. Never did that again. I said, oh, you got full of stickers, didn't you? Yeah, and they hurt like crazy. Yeah. And I said, I know that too. I constantly were pulling those things off. They're so annoying. Well, here in Isaiah, God's transformer work is likened to replacing the thorn bush and the briar with juniper and myrtle. And the interesting thing about juniper and myrtle, it was used for healing. Parts of it are used for healing and, and, and that kind of thing. And so basically, Isaiah 55 ends with this picture of how God transforms. He takes what was formerly a thorn bush and a briar, and he says, now it's going to be a juniper and a myrtle. He, he, he's the Lord who heals. He transforms that which is destructive and replaces it with that which heals. And all of creation can't contain itself. You'll go out with joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field, they'll clap, they'll clap their hands. All creation rejoices in the transformative work of God. So God is the difference maker. And uh, you, my friend, are called to an unordinary life in the Lord Jesus Christ, a reimagined life. And and I just pray that you take to heart today some of these thoughts from Isaiah chapter 55. And um, we got a couple more weeks to go on this series. And then it's winning the war of the mind and on to other things. I'm going to end right now because we got a really cool ending here. So God bless you.